Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Broad Eye Podcast. My name is Sean Maloney, and I'm here today with my good friend and co-host, Dr. Bruno Fernandez. Bruno, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Sean. How's it going? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, I know we were talking earlier today and looking uh, very forward to our guest, Laura Allen, is here with us. Uh, she is the Head of Strategy, Accessibility, and Disability Inclusion at Google. Laura, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Great. So uh, we have a lot of directions that we're going to go with this conversation, hopefully. But um, I thought as a, you know, as a starting point for the conversation, maybe you could describe your journey, uh, I guess we can call it, from a 10-year-old that uh, experienced unexpected vision loss to your current role now at Google? Sure, sure. So let's see. When I was 10, I remember sitting at the piano bench and rubbing my right eye when I was looking at sheet music and all of a sudden noticing that I wasn't able to see the sheet music with my left eye. Um, and I remember telling my parents and they were just like, oh, I don't know what that might be. Just, just keep rubbing it. Maybe you're tired. <laughs> and then it kept up. It, it, it didn't, it, I mean, it kind of persisted and they wound up taking me to um, a few different doctors and they were looking at my eyes and saying, I have no idea what's going on. Um, and we wound up kind of getting bounced around many different times to a number of different specialists. This was in New Jersey and New York. I grew up in New Jersey. So um, and then I finally got to the point where I got the diagnosis of um, a disease called choroidal osteomas, which is essentially benign tumors in the eyes. And they really heavily impact central vision. So at that point, I was diagnosed with bilateral choroidal osteomas, even though uh, I had only hemorrhaged in my left eye leading to central vision loss. And so my right eye was still 20-20 vision at that point. Um, so at that point, you know, it was, you know, typical 10 year old. I didn't really think about this. I tried to put it out of my mind. Um, I just kind of went about my daily life. And ultimately then when I was 14, I had another hemorrhage in my right eye. So at that point it was a very, very drastic change because for those few years, my brain had sort of compensated and um, pieced together a view of the world that was clear. So it kind of took away the, the the spots in my left eye that were now missing, covered, you know, pieced it all together with the vision from my right eye. Um, but then all of a sudden, within just a few days, I lost a significant amount of central vision in my right eye. So at that point, it went from, you know, having 20-20 vision to becoming legally blind. Um, and it was a huge, huge period of transition. So at that point, um, we had found a a retinal specialist who my family just absolutely loved, and I'm still seeing him to this day, uh, Dr. Sibylingham at Will's Eye in Philadelphia. And he was just such an amazing support uh, during this period of transition for me, just helping understand, okay, well, what was going on here? And uh, I remember he even had my mom and me over for pizza at his house once at that point, during because he knew what a, what a drastic change this was. And he was just such a, and still is such a kind, um, kind human, kind doctor. So, um, but at that point, once once we kind of got over the, the shock of that change, um, I dove into trying to figure out, well, what, do, what does this mean? I was in eighth grade at the end of my year, about to start high school the following year. And all of a sudden, you know, wasn't able to read any text at that point or see the chalkboard. 
uh, really understand like who my who my friends' faces were in the hallway. You know, this was a very drastic change. So at that point, we started learning about different technologies, and um, I started taking Braille lessons and. Um, I quickly realized though, as much as I wished that I could be really fast at Braille, um, I think I was just a little bit too old to be able to pick up really, really fast Braille reading. So although I learned the basics, I started working on audio and listening to books through recordings from volunteers. Uh, but it was very apparent that in those very early years, um, my school system didn't really know the best ways to, to help me. I didn't have any of my materials in accessible formats that I could listen to. So I would come home from school and my parents would read aloud to me or my brother would read aloud to me. And this was on top of their very demanding jobs, their very long days. Um, and I, they just went through heroics to help bridge the gaps. Um, and you know, I would come home from school and my dad would teach me my math classes because at the time, the only way to learn math in school was to, to be able to see the chalkboard and to follow along with the lesson. So my parents were just absolutely incredible. Um, but it took us a few years to figure out what was the right mix of assistive technologies for me to regain my independence. And this is when we we found this, this um, process of basically taking all of my books and removing their binding and feeding the pages through a high-speed scanner and using OCR software to then convert the images into text to be able to listen using text-to-speech software. And, you know, we destroyed tons and tons of books, but, and it certainly wasn't perfect. Um, there were certainly parts of the pages that would come out incorrect or missing, like if you pictures trying to scan a, a map or a math question, that was always tricky. But for the most part, it got me so much closer to independence. And that was the point when I realized, you know, this, this true power of technology and what it could do for someone's life. So I think that planted a seed in me. And um, at that point, you know, I used that process throughout high school. And then I went to Georgetown University where I studied international business and marketing and minored in music. And basically went through Georgetown and I got myself, uh, I was doing a number of different internships and I wound up interviewing for a role at Google at the end of my Georgetown time. And I remember I had been at an event in Washington, DC through an organization called Lime Connect, which is an amazing organization that helps to pair up you know, students with disabilities with major corporations. And I remember seeing Google at this event and it was somebody with a disability just talking about life at Google. And I have to be honest that I never once had thought about Google before that. I thought for sure I'd move back to New York and I'd stay on the East Coast and uh, maybe I'd go back and work at one of the companies I interned for. But it started opening my mind to the possibilities of working at, at Google or a company like Google. And um, I started my career at Google 11 years ago and was starting out in the world of advertising and sales, which was certainly interesting. I was able to put my, my knowledge from, from marketing and international business to use and it was very exciting. And, um, but I started reaching out to different teams at Google. I just remember very early on reaching out and giving feedback. So for example, I I'd, I'd remember finding a contact from, for example, the Gmail team or the Google Docs team and saying, hey, I've got low vision, you know, um, I'd, love to, <laughs> I'd love to be able to chat with you and give you some feedback. And I just remember getting this very open, warm reception from folks. And at the time back then, it was, it was a much smaller group of people who were working on accessibility across all the different teams. So 
they were happy to get the feedback and happy to, to get any help. So I started doing some side projects and I started learning a lot more because of course I knew about the different technologies that I used and I, I knew about the perspective of someone with low vision, but uh, obviously there's so much more to learn about the realm of assistive technology across all different types of disabilities and perspectives. Um, so I really started- Laura, let me, sorry, yeah. let me stop it. Like, so so when, you, when you got in Google then, you were, you were in sales for not uh, uh, a specific niche of people with disabilities, you were like- just, No, no. I was working with clients in tech B2B. <laughs> so okay. completely not relating to accessibility or disability inclusion. Um, and that was for my first few years. And yeah, so then I started to, to sort of transition and uh, do these side projects with these teams on the product side and the technology side relating to accessibility. And then ultimately was able to transition full time um, back in 2014 into a role in accessibility, which I was just so thrilled about because I think I realized very quickly when I was there um, that although sales was, was very interesting to me, my heart wasn't in it the same way that I felt so drawn to accessibility just because of my experience with, with vision loss. And I just remember thinking to myself one night, you know, I was working so many hours and working so hard and, um, you know, dealing with a lot of eye strain, looking at the, the different interfaces. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, what if I could shift into a, a role where I could spend all of my hours on something that I truly, truly cared about? And when I shifted into the world of accessibility full time, that was when I was able to realize what that really felt like. So it was very transformative. Um, so I started my accessibility journey at Google officially um, on the Chrome and Chrome OS accessibility team many years ago. And I helped to, I was the, the lead program manager on that team. And I helped to really work with that team to build up our presence. We grew the team greatly and we were, we were working on everything relating to the Chrome browser and the Chrome operating system. So if you're familiar with Chromebooks, um, so whether that was you know, building the different assistive technology features into the browser or into Chromebooks, um, or helping to work with many, many different people across the broader teams on how to make their, their interfaces and their, their design work accessible and inclusive, um, to working with different schools and, and educators and trainers. Um, so I spent many years on the Chrome and Chrome OS team and, and just loved it. Um, and then as of last year, I actually transitioned into another role at Google, which is sitting on the central accessibility team. Um, so if you can imagine at Google, we have kind of a hub and spoke model when it comes to accessibility. So we have a hub, a hub team, which is our central accessibility team that works on a lot of different sort of cross organizational efforts. Um, and then we have our product team. So Chrome has, a, has an accessibility team and Android has an accessibility team and so on. Um, so we all work very closely together, but we all are sort of housed in the different parts of the organization to try to have the, the greatest impact. So yeah, now I, now I sit centrally and I work on more cross-organizational, cross-functional efforts. Um, and I, I just, you know, once I was able to transition into accessibility at Google, I, I, I think I realized my, my true mission at Google is really around helping to use technology to further level the playing field for people with disabilities. Because I always think back to those early years when I was first losing vision and 
you know, my parents, as I said, just were filling in so many gaps. And my brother was helping me in so many different ways. And I am the first to recognize how lucky I was to have that support system. And if I didn't have that support system, I have to be honest that I don't know how it would have turned out. I don't know if I would have graduated. I don't know where I'd be. And I know that that's just, that's sadly the case in so many situations when it comes to disability, that that people are so dependent on their circumstances and their support systems. And um, I just wanna make, make every effort I can at Google to help to leverage Google's platforms and scale to be able to work on, on further, you know, leveling that playing field. Yeah. Like it's, it's only when we have a, a permanent or, or even a temporary uh, physical disability that we realize like how not accessible the word is, right? I mean, for people that are not. Oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, so the team, uh, so there was already like a you know, sort of like a accessibility initiative at Google and, 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 and then you, you joined and helped expand mm-hmm. it, right? And so, so is it is it more in terms of software or hardware? Like, I mean, how does it go? Like, I mean, inside the, the team at, at Google, you know, like, I mean, what is, what is the main uh, drive? Like, I mean, to make uh, Google's products more accessible to people. Yeah, I mean, there are so many different efforts now, actually, when it comes to accessibility and disability inclusion. Um, so again, there, there are some teams that are working on you know, building out assistive technology features. So um, for example, if, you were, if you're using an Android phone and you open up the accessibility settings and you're able to access things like TalkBack or the magnifier or select to speak or a wide variety of other features. Um, same with Chromebooks, same with you know, um, the workspace apps like Google Docs and um, Google Sheets, things like that. So there are lots of different types of accessibility features being built. But then a lot of the work has to do with, again, like how do you make the, the general experience of all the different products and all the different interfaces work across a very wide variety of assistive technology tools? So there's a lot of work that goes into um, broader education efforts at Google, helping to educate uh, all the different people who maybe don't have accessibility in their title, but you know, accessibility is something that everyone really should be integrating into their work, whether they're designers, whether they're researchers, engineers, tech writers, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, uh, we should always be factoring inclusion into, this, into the narrative, into the story, into the work. Um, so a lot of what we do is, is you know, helping to educate on best practices and also techniques um, create internal standards and things like that to be able to spread across different teams. Um, also doing things like creating help center content and creating marketing content to be able to get the word out about the different assistive technology features. Um, there's just, you know, creating tooling, creating things like um, making it easier for developers to understand how to build accessibly or how to understand which what sorts of bugs might they have in their uh, in their interface or product that they're building. So that's definitely a lot of like lots and lots of different ways that the teams are focusing on accessibility. Um, and there's also something that we now you know we refer to as disability inclusion. And I kind of think about disability inclusion more so as how do we make sure to make Google 
a really great place to work for people with disabilities. So not necessarily only thinking about the technology side, but what is it like culturally? And what is it like in the environment, whether that's in the physical space um, on campuses and things like that, or um, you know, really any, any aspect of just working at the company from thinking about you know, as, you're, as you're interviewing to, to um, come on board for a role, to onboarding, to uh, going through promotion processes, things like that. Like we need to be thinking about how can we be inclusive for people with disabilities in the processes. So we also have groups that are focused on that. Um, some people who have that, again, like in their specific title, but we also have a really huge, uh, what we call our employee resource group at Google, which is called the Disability Alliance. And the Disability Alliance is, is actually, you know, many, many, many people, thousands of people now who are either Googlers who have disabilities or Googlers who have close friends and families with disabilities, maybe they're supporting somebody with disability, and then just a whole lot of allies as well who wanna understand how to be more inclusive and more open. Um, so we have lots of different things that go on through this employee resource group as well, just which is our sort of community and support system. So there are lots of different efforts happening across Google um, and we try our best to sort of bring alignment and help to help to make sure everyone's informed of what, what are all the different things going on across all these different teams and, and parts of the organization. I think that, uh, you know, just hearing you talk, um, it, it just makes me think of a lot, I guess we had before um, and was highlighting just how widespread disability is in society mm -hmm. and, you know, ranging from physical to, you know, mental and emotional disabilities um, and that, you know, workplaces in general need to design for that inclusion. So it seems like Google is certainly, you know, leading the charge in that. Um, I was hoping to ask you, you know, you've obviously been involved in a lot of these accessibility initiatives over your, I think you said 11 years at Google. Are yeah. there any that, any, any that stand out in terms of uh, that were the most, you know, meaningful for you, if you had to pinpoint one or two, um, you know, whether it's, you know, an accessibility feature in Chrome that you worked on or something in the Chrome OS or Android, uh, anything that uh, either, you know, you're very proud of to have worked on specifically, or um, if there's too many, then anything that maybe, <laughs> anything that maybe hit home close to you as a user who is visually impaired that really actually like, oh my God, I actually helped, you know, <laughs> make this change. And now I, I'm benefiting from it. Anything like that that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I would probably say that, you know, when I was in school, just to give you a sense, um, when I was in school, in high school in particular, I was basically the only student in the classroom that had a laptop. And in my math class for a while, um, I had a high intensity lamp that was on my desk. And it was just such a blatant symbol of, okay, this girl's different, something's going on here. And that always kind of stuck with me. Um, and I had to just sort of own it and be as, you know, I, I tried to be confident about it, but I was uncomfortable with that. I didn't want to feel different at that age, especially that sort of vulnerable age of high school. Um, so I think the thing that I'm, I was so excited to be able to work on at Google was, and this is not only the case for, for Google technology by any means, but in the classroom, you know, especially in the US and a number of other countries now, there's been this huge shift for using technology in the classroom and classrooms have really transformed. And Chromebooks 
have really skyrocketed in terms of usage when it comes to uh, usage in the classrooms of K-12 schools. Um, and I think what I was most proud of is that our team just worked so hard on integrating all these different features into Chromebooks, just you know, right, right out of the box for free. Um, and you know, Chromebooks are, they're being so heavily used in the classroom that what I loved about it was I worked with a number of different educators and special educators and students and the story really had changed from when I was in school, where now if there's a, a laptop in front of just about every student or every student, um, and they're just able to sort of customize the features based on all the different things we've now built into accessibility settings, whether that's using a screen reader, using a braille display, using magnification, using select to speak, using voice input, like whatever, whatever the feature may be, um, they can kind of customize their experience uh, turn on whatever settings they need, and then just get to work, get to learning. Like we can kind of get the technology out of the way so that it's just, we're empowering students to learn the best way that they can. And it's no longer the, the technology that is the thing that alienates them. I just hope the technology can be just the thing that empowers people. So I think as a whole, that's that was the transformation that was most meaningful to me to be able to help to build out and really flesh out the different options that are built into Chromebooks. Um, the team is still working on further adding features and enhancing features, but I think Chromebooks have come a really long way in the past few years. So I, it was just amazing to sort of get to work with different students, get to work with different teachers in that regard and, and just see how far we've come in, in a relatively short amount of time, to be honest. And the, uh more like moving into the future uh in like short term i would say like i mean what what's what, what do you say would be like the most exciting development like in the accessibility space like either from from google or 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 in general from other companies yeah i mean i think one really interesting trend that we've started to see is starting to integrate machine learning and artificial intelligence with accessibility so we've seen a few interesting projects come out um, on the Google side recently. So over the past few years, like for example, on the Chrome browser, there's a feature called get image descriptions, which, you know, if, uh, if you're a screen reader user and you're navigating the web, unfortunately, you're probably familiar with navigating and getting to an image that doesn't have alt text or doesn't have a description of what's in the image. And this is up to the developers to add in. And it's a best practice, of course, for developers to be adding alt text, um, but oftentimes it's left out. So a, a blind user may just be missing a lot of context on the web. So this, this feature uses machine learning to try to understand what is in that image and surfaces a suggested description to the user. So that's just one example. Um, there's a feature, there's an app on, on Android called Lookout which uses machine learning to understand like what is, what's the world around you? What's, what are some of the objects that are in your view? Um, you can use the camera on your phone to do really fast OCR of text, whether that's on a package or on a piece of mail, like whatever it may be. Um, and it's just a really, really cool way of integrating machine learning um, and at this intersection of machine learning and accessibility. So. To be honest, I think we're only starting to see, you know, we're, we're scratching the surface of possible integrations at Google and beyond. I mean, there are other companies that are working on some really interesting applications of this as well. So I'm very hopeful that we're going to see 
more and more innovations come out, um, really new and interesting uh, ways to think about accessibility solutions. Um, and another thing I'd say is that, you know, I think that the realm of cognitive inclusion has been, it's been an area that has been sort of under-researched and underdeveloped when it comes to accessibility. So um, I'm very excited that there are more and more teams that are focusing on cognitive inclusion now. Um, the W3C has um, a working group uh, called COGA, it's the task force that's focused on cognitive inclusion, and they're working on defining different standards um, and different guidelines for cognitive inclusion and accessibility. So I'm very hopeful that that also becomes a much, much bigger area of focus in the future across different companies, across the industry, because again, I think there's just so much more to understand about how to be more accessible for you know, lots and lots of different, whether cognitive disabilities, learning disabilities, processing challenges, um, you know, communication challenges, there's, there's so many different things to further understand um, and be able to customize technology. So I'm, I'm really hopeful and really excited that we're gonna see a lot more in that direction as well. So that brought up a whole lot of thoughts. <laughs> I'm going to try, try to just go with a couple, but you said, you know, if somebody is a, has low vision and they ever come across an image in, in, in a web page or something, this happened to me this morning, uh, reading through CNN, <laughs> CNN news. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, I use a, an iPhone and I just you know, swipe down to use a screen reader on the iPhone. But if it comes to an image and that image has like a, a hyperlink that is, you know, somewhere between 40 and 50,000 characters long, it will read out every single character yeah. that hyperlink. And it's like, oh, no. and some, it comes to the point uh, on some of these news sites uh, or, they'll, or they'll read every single menu and submenu option. It'll take like 15 minutes to read through right. before it gets the content. I'm like, oh my God, I, I just need to turn on, you know, the voiceover <laughs> or something instead because why am what putting myself through this, this pain? But um, the- uh, Totally, just, uh, totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious how- uh, just another thought, how people, you know, give, or how Google collects feedback on, um, you know, what the, the community, whether low vision or otherwise, um, sees as, you know, potential um, accessibility needs. And I, I point this out because I, I actually mm -hmm. contributed to an Apple, an Apple forum uh, before uh, about an update they did that, that messed up the screen reader's ability to read emails when you're composing them. And uh, they, they said, oh, you're the first person to ever point that out. I'm like, really? Of like the millions of people using Apple iPhones who will have, you know, accessibility needs. Mm -hmm. I'm the first person to point this out. Like, yeah, that, that often happens where, you know, people, you know, there's, there's thousands of people struggling with the same problem and just, you know, probably cursing under their breath and oh, I hope somebody would fix this. But right. uh, um uh, not everybody brings those things up. So I'm just wondering at Google, uh, is there a, a path for people who identify potential accessibility uh, features in, in any of these products to actually read that information to Google? Yeah, there, there are actually a few different paths. So um, years ago, we started out with just a Google group forum, which was basically, it's called accessible at googlegroups.com. It's an email address um, and you can join that community forum. And that was sort of our first, our first way to engage with the community. And then a bunch of different sort of Google groups forums out of that. And that was sort of like community-based discussion where there are certainly some Googlers on those forums, but it's also just lots of lots of people out there using different features who you know, chime in about different tips and things like that. 
But over the years, we've developed um, other, other channels. So now we have our disability support team of agents. Um, so the website to learn more about this is just g.co slash disability support. And there are lots of different ways to engage, whether that's um, chat support, phone support. Um, there is actually a way to use Be My Eyes also to, to use the app Be My Eyes. There's an integration with that to be able to show uh, an agent sort of what's going on. Um, so that's definitely one way. It's, it's sort of like one-on-one -on -one support with an agent. Um, and that's also a great way if you've got feedback and you want to send it into the teams, they then sort of funnel that into the, the relevant product teams as well. Uh, they're filing any sort of issues that, that are brought up. So that's a really great way to be able to, to get in touch. Um, we also have what we call our trusted testers program, which is um, a group of people we've identified across a, a number of different disability types of perspectives and uh, there's a lot more that goes on among the trusted testers where they get sort of early previews of some of the things that are coming out and they get to access some of the technology and, and provide hands-on feedback to people across different Google Teams. Um, we have similar programs, like for example, um, we had created a, a Chromebook Accessibility Ambassador program for a similar reason, where the ambassadors, we, just, we realized there was just so many amazing people out there who were actually, you know, technology trainers or educators who were out there working with the different communities and they had so much feedback and so many great ideas about you know, the different features that, that our team should honestly be helping to build and prioritize. Um, so because we need to be integrating this feedback from our users, from, from our community, we can't just sit and, and build uh, you know, at, at our campuses and just hope that it works for everybody. So there, there are lots of different channels now, which is great. I think we need more and more channels, to be honest with you. We need greater communication with our communities. Um, but another aspect is really prioritizing user research. Um, we have lots of teams that are out doing research in different communities and helping, again, to, to pull that research and pull those insights back into the product teams. Um, and then, of course, this is, this is not, you know, necessarily talking about the external community, but um, we, we have, well, I'll back up. I, <laughs> a few more examples of the external community and then I'll talk a little bit about the internal, but um, we also go to a lot of different conferences. Of course, um, the pandemic has kind of changed what conferences look like this past year and a half. There's been a lot more virtual presences, but um, in prior years, we've, we've gone to many different conferences in person to do lots of different talks and hands-on demos and exhibit halls, things like that. And that's also a really fantastic way of, like, to engage with people and hear their feedback and, and take, take note of it and, again, bring it back to the teams. Um, there are lots of different partnerships with organizations. Um, so whether that's from you know, the National Federation of the Blind or a number of different organizations where we're actively getting the feedback from their communities and pulling it back in. Um, but then, as I mentioned, there's also a lot of Googlers with disabilities. So, and we're actively trying to you know, increase that number. We want more people with disabilities at Google uh, because that is the true way to build really, really inclusive products is you know, you've got people on the teams using these features and just being able to integrate their, their thoughts and their perspectives. So we have people who are in testing functions, who are evaluating uh, the different products. We have people in design and product management and program management functions. You know, 
engineers, whatever it may be. So there are lots of different ways to get that hands-on feedback. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, how do you, how do you aggregate it and how do you get it acted on and, and so on and so forth. So, so yeah, you, you mentioned something very interesting there, like that the, the, the way to develop products for uh, people with disabilities is actually bringing them in and hearing them out. Uh, and, and this is actually one yeah. of the, the main uh, purposes of our uh, podcast, right? Like to bridge that knowledge gap between uh, patients and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and doctors. And uh, we, we add another element there, right? Which is the tech industry with its engineers and developers. And all like, so they will be the ones eventually developing all the tools that the patients will uh, use and do do you do you see like bringing like doctors that actually understand the diseases that they have uh, uh, in and hearing them out as well that come in to help uh, uh, to close those knowledge gaps? I would love to see more of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I would love it if you would come give a talk at Google. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there to get a better understanding of some of the the science behind visual disorders and, and visual impairments. And um, I do think that'd be really interesting and vice versa, which is why, again, I think this podcast is so cool and such a great idea. Um, when I was going through my, my early, early days of vision loss, I just remember, you know, there was no real help from my early doctors in the beginning about, well, what does this mean? Like what sort of tools are available for me to use? Um, I didn't have that at all. <laughs> Um, I was in fact told by a, a specialist I went to before starting to see Dr. Sivalingham um, that this, this person told my parents and me when I was 10 years old that I'd probably lose a lot of vision and that I should just really consider, you know, never go into a field like math or science. Um, I was going to be limited in what I could do. And my parents were just furious <laughs> to hear this. Um, they heard this from one of one of the you know main specialists in this field um, when it comes to tumors, and I think they were just trying to be realistic with my parents, but they they really it wasn't the right message to come across. So I do think it's it goes both ways. Of you know if they had said, well, there you know there are lots of new technologies coming out, and there's so many there's so much potential for for you know people with visual impairments and. You, you know, don't let this define what you're going to do or don't let this alter your path. That would have been a very different message than uh, you should probably check off math or science from your list of careers to pursue. Um, so I do think like there's a it's a great dialogue to be having uh, among technologists and, and the, the, the doctor's field for sure. Yeah, we, I think we make that mistakes a lot of, on telling patients what they cannot do instead of like helping them do the things that they want to do right yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and, and I mean I think that that's it's certainly not just uh something that the doctors do I think that's something that we all need to think about of how can we further open doors instead of close doors for the realm of disability so um so yeah lots lots for all of us to learn <laughs> I thought we could maybe just use that as a segue into another question. Maybe just one or two more questions. I don't want to take all of your uh, your time today. Um, although, I, actually, no, that's not true. I would love to take all of your time today. <laughs> but, but, but next next time, maybe we could go around too and schedule a three hour interview because I just have a I have a, I have a lot of quote questions and thoughts. Um, but you know, um, and, and I've been in that position um, as someone with visual a visual impairment, uh, where saying, "Oh no, you shouldn't be able. You shouldn't do this. You should focus on that." And uh, 
Um, you know, I went, I went the, the science route, which I was also advised not to. Uh, I also went like backpacking, uh-huh. in, backpacking in Europe with buddies when I was 23 years old and which I was advised not to do. Um, but uh, <laughs> any, anyhow, here we, we're, we're here. Um, but yeah. uh, no, on, on, on that note, in terms of ability, I think there's also um, another side to that. There's a bit of a double-edged sword when we talk about, um, or when we highlight sometimes people who are, we'll call it quote unquote superheroes um, with disabilities, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was hoping maybe you can talk to that a bit because I know in our previous conversation you and I had, you know, that, that did come up and I just know if you have any yeah. thoughts you want to share on that. Yeah, it's, it's so tricky um, because I think, so, okay, so for one example, I remember when I was, when I was interviewing for different colleges and I was, I was going around to a number of different colleges and meeting with their disability support teams or their student services teams, whatever they called it. And I remember going to one university, um, a great university and talking with their disability services team and a very well-intentioned woman was, was kind of talking to me and she was like, oh, you know, we had a, we had a blind Olympic swimmer here uh, a set of years ago, like you'll, you'll do just fine. <laughs> and it was sort of a conversation about like, I was just barely scraping by at that point. And hearing this comparison of, oh, we had this blind Olympian. Um, I, I just remember looking, thinking in my head, like, lady, do I look like a, an Olympic swimmer to you? <laughs> like, I'm just trying to get by right now. And um, I think it really just depends. You know, I think having those stories of the incredible achievers, the people who go out and do these incredible these incredible feats where they're climbing these huge mountains or whatever they may be doing and with disabilities. I think those stories are really, really important because again, they show that people with disabilities have so much massive potential that people often discredit or overlook, they don't understand. Um, But you have to also surface stories of just real people, (laughs) maybe not the superheroes um, all the time, just because you know, it's just really important to show the full spectrum. And we need to make sure that people know, you know, like people with disabilities also need to do everyday things and be able to use their technology, for example, to order a pizza, (laughs) like super day-to-day things. And if that technology is not accessible, well then, all right, they're not gonna be ordering a pizza. Like they're not gonna be doing these these very standard things. Um, So I think we just have to round out how we talk about disability from, Yes, featuring the stories of the huge accomplished achievers, uh, but also talking about the the day-to-day and and the journeys that people need to take and the very real human stories. Um, So yeah, I I do agree that it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, but we just need to talk about the full spectrum of of humanity. (laughs) Well, I think that comes, you know, it reminds me of uh, just how people talk about celebrities, right? You know, if you know any celebrities, which I know a, a couple of them, um, <laughs> a couple of the more well-known ones, but, uh, and of course the headlines, you know, play them out to be superheroes, uh, much mm-hmm. like, like you mentioned, uh, you know, an Olympic swimmer. And we, uh, have over the years, Bruno and I both connected with a number of people who have vision loss, uh, who have accomplished amazing, uh, feats in, in business and yeah. in medicine in, in, uh, athletics for sure. And, uh, there's always another side to that story because when you talk to these people and you do know them personally, um, they turn around and they struggle with some of the day-to-day things. It's like, yes, I went out and I, you know, accomplished this great thing. I, 
climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I, you know, I run a $30 billion business, but then when they go home, yeah, they still knock knock over a wine glass or, you know, maybe don't completely change the baby's diaper that needs to be changed. You know, I've been down that road before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The the, the day-to-day life things that, uh, that, um, are, are uh, some of those struggles, right? So I think right. that those well, things are important to bring up. Yeah. And I think that that's most important when it's, you know, when you're somebody dealing with vision loss, for example, and you're trying to understand, well, what is this going to mean for me? What is this going to, how is this going to change my life? And if you only hear about the superheroes, um, it may just create such a divide. It's so far away from wh- where you currently are right now that you're like, oh, I'll, I'll never be able to do that. Like, it's going to make you possibly feel even worse. Alternatively, though, it could make you look at that and say, oh, my gosh, look at this. I could do anything. You know, I could really I, I shouldn't set my my boundaries lower. Like, I, I need to just continue doing whatever I want to do. And so I, I think that it just again, it's a matter of of. Uh, telling the full story, telling the real stories. I think that's the really important thing. I think that makes sense. So, um, Laura, this has been, uh, this has been a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I think the first people that I want to listen to this episode before we even publish it is actually my kids. And the reason for that, they're, they're 10, nine and almost eight, eight by the time, uh, the, uh, the episode will get published. I think the reason for that is, you know, the way you talk about, your job uh, with such, you know, passion and meaning, um, you know, forget accessibility and inclusion and just in general, the passion, you know, that you have toward your, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis is it's infectious. And quite honestly, I'm a little bit jealous. Oh. To be honest. I'm going to be honest. Uh, so if there's more, uh, more, Sean, more you're doing such cool the- things. what do you mean? <laughs> more, more, if there's more roles on the Google accessibility team that come up, keep me in mind, but <laughs> until then until then uh, i just want to take the opportunity to uh to thank you for coming on the podcast like this is this has truly been a, a fun conversation and uh very much mm-hmm. enjoyed it oh well thank you so much that really means a lot and it's just it's been wonderful to be here with you guys and again i i just love what you're doing with this podcast i think it's awesome so i really appreciate being here all right well thanks so much thank you laura it was a great chat thank you